welcome to the Gospel for Planet Earth podcast. I'm your host, Carl Gessler, and in the studio again with me is my co-host, Susie Gessler. Welcome back, Suze. I'm glad, Thank you. I'm glad that you're well enough to be with me here in the studio. Me too. I've been recording all morning, and I need a break for myself, so welcome. <laughs> Thanks. So this week's podcast, I'm asking the question, what is the kingdom of God like? Or actually, I'm just focusing on the question that Jesus asks, acts, Jesus acts, he asks, no, he asks in Luke 13, what is the kingdom of God like? And I imagine most of the time, if you were to ask someone on the street, what is the kingdom of God like? And they were to give you an answer, they would probably try to describe heaven. But I could be wrong. What do you think? Um, yeah, I think so. I, when I think of the kingdom of God nowadays, I think of people, the church on earth, doing good stuff and just um, being Christians, you know, living for God uh, and telling people about how to get to heaven. Okay. So they're kind of doing kingdom stuff as, as, you, as it is. Yeah. Yeah. So many times when people talk about death, they talk about entering the kingdom, uh, that when you die and go to heaven, mm. you're entering the kingdom. But that, I think, is definitely misleading. Huh. I mean, it's, that's not what the kingdom of God is. Uh, the kingdom of God is heaven coming to earth and God's kingdom being set up on earth as it is in heaven. As a matter of fact, you know, sometimes I hear people in church talking about the kingdom of God and they they say they refer to miracles as the kingdom of God. You know, miracles, healings, and signs and wonders, that kind of thing. That's the kingdom of God. But the fact is, we are already in the kingdom of God right now because Jesus is king on earth as it is in heaven. He's already reigning. <clears throat> That's what the ascension is about, that Jesus ascended to his throne and he's already reigning. It's not the fullness of his reign, but the Holy Spirit is already given to his people to help uh, to be part of advancing the reign of God on earth as it is in heaven through the gift of the Holy Spirit and his people. So when you say that, I don't, this is probably a big sidetrack, but when you say that stuff that you said, I think those words. of, <laughs> you said those words and sentences, it made me think of the other words and sentences that people say about um, the end times and using that phrase, well, Jesus is going to come back and reign for a thousand years, or Jesus already reigned for a thousand years, and now the world belongs to the kingdom of darkness, or Right now, because Jesus left and is seated at the right hand of the Father, he's allowing, like, like Satan still kind of, like, rules the world, and one day he'll come back and reign for a thousand years, and then it'll be the end of the world, and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. But the kingdom of God is already here. And if we're, if we're saying that the kingdom, that the world we're living into, living in right now belongs to the kingdom of darkness then forget any hope you have of breaking free of addiction, of any kind of sin. Just forget it because you live in a world that is ruled over by darkness. But that's not the case. Jesus has overcome the darkness. The Holy Spirit has been granted. When the fullness of the Holy Spirit comes, I mean, sorry, when the fullness of the kingdom comes, the earth will be filled with that spirit, filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And it's not, when we talk about Jesus' second coming, I think the word coming is oftentimes misleading because he's not far away. He's with us right now. Jesus said, I'm with you always to the end of the age, meaning the time 
when this age completely passes away and the, the new age is here in its entirety. Jesus is here right now uh, with us, and the, the coming is more of an unveiling that Jesus is here present. Heaven and earth uh, interlock in many ways, especially within God's people. But in that final day, heaven will be flood, flooding earth, just as it says in Revelation, that heaven will come down and earth and heaven will be one. You know, and that's the fullness of the kingdom. But because the Holy Spirit's already here, I think I've said this, the kingdom of God is already here um, and we can live with hope, hope that life can be renewed. And I'm burping because I'm drinking seltzer water. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. Is that exciting? Uh, yeah. It should be. It's it's kind of a it's nicer than what I said. <laughs> like I've always well, you been, said a, you said a number of yeah, you, you I mean, rattled off a number of opinions. And, and, and but that's I've heard different opinions. Those are all different things, and no one it seems like growing up at the church could say a definite like yeah, this is the time we're living in for sure. Jesus already reigned for a thousand years, or Jesus is going to reign for a thousand years. And yeah, he overcame death and defeated it, and he overcame sin and evil, but it's not quite been finished yet. Yeah. Even though he said it is finished. <laughs> well, it's very... But yeah, go ahead. Anyway, it's just, it's it's kind of a depressing thought, mm -hmm. um, that outlook. It's so, uh, and it just doesn't make sense. And it seems it seems weird, too, that like, Jesus and his disciples were so cryptic as to like no one can really understand what's going on and what time we're living in. Right. Yeah, and a lot of people do live that way. They they get saved because they have the hair, hell scared out of them and then they don't know what to do with themselves until the day that they die. And many of them get saved like that in, in jail and when they come out of jail they still aren't equipped. They ha still haven't received anything that's going to help them to live differently. They haven't received any hope that they can live a different way. Instead, they just have this obscure hope that maybe somehow they've gotten out of jail free when they die. And to me, the the message of the kingdom is extremely important because we live a kind of ridiculous life, traveling the country, um, you know, going beyond our means, uh, not in the sense of going into debt financially, but not knowing where the money's going to come from, not knowing how we're going to get from point A to point B. And unless Jesus really is in charge, what we're doing is really stupid. <laughs> the point is, is if Jesus is alive, then he is with us and we can trust in him. We may make some mistakes some, uh, this way or that. We may make a mistake in a decision. Uh, you know, we may put ourselves out there on a limb. Um, we may wrestle with some things. We may teach some wrong things at some times. But as long as we're looking to him, praying, seeking his face, he's going to keep us going in the right direction. And he's going to take care of every need that we have regardless of what the nature of that need is, financial, emotional, mental, physical, spiritual, uh, because he's alive. Let's listen to Luke 13. Okay. Now on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those eighteen on whom this tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. 
But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And they began telling this parable. A man had a fig tree, which he had planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and didn't find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And he answered and said to him, Let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And there was a woman who for eighteen years had a sickness caused by a spirit. And she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. But the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the crowd in response, There are six days in which work should be done, so come during them and get healed, not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water him? And this woman, a daughter of Abraham as she is, whom Satan has bound for eighteen long years, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said this, all his opponents were being humiliated, and the entire crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things that were being done by him. So he was saying, What is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It's like a mustard seed which a man took and threw into his own garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air nested in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. And he was passing through from one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, And you begin to stand outside and knock on the door, saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer and say to you, I don't know where you're from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. And he will say, I tell you, I don't know where you're from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves being thrown out. And they will come from east and west and from north and south and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some who are last will be first, and some who are first will be last. Just at that time some Pharisees approached, saying to him, Go away, leave here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I reach my goal. Nevertheless, I must journey on today and tomorrow and the next day. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together, just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not have it. Behold, your house is left to you desolate, and I say to you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Struggle hard to get in by the narrow gate. Let me tell you, many will try to get in and won't be able to. This is a problematic statement for many of us who have come to the text assuming that what is at stake, that what Jesus is concerned about is getting people into heaven. We've been told, if you grew up in the Protestant tradition, 
that you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and not by anything that you can do, not by works, lest any man should boast. And so when Jesus says, struggle hard to get in by the narrow gate, that sounds like a contradiction. Is God telling us to try hard to get into heaven? No, because Jesus is not talking about getting into heaven. And that is the key to understanding Luke 13. Let's think about Jesus's parables about the question, what is the kingdom of God like? Jesus is not describing heaven, as many of us would imagine. Let's just try these parables a second, thinking of them in terms of describing heaven and see if they work. Jesus says, what is God's kingdom like? What shall we compare it with? It's like a mustard seed that someone took and placed in a garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the sky made nests in its branches. That doesn't sound like streets of gold. It doesn't sound like pearly mansions. It doesn't sound like a world that's perfect. It sounds like something that's changing slowly over time. It doesn't sound at all like what we talk about when we say eternity. The next parable doesn't doesn't get any better. Jesus says, what is God's kingdom like? It's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until the whole thing was leavened. Again, if this is a description about heaven, as in a final destination we go to, a place of perfection up in the sky somewhere or wherever it is, it doesn't work. We're supposed, to, when we get there, we expect it to be perfect and everything is great, hunky-dory, hunky-dory, whatever that means. But Jesus is saying, no, the kingdom of God is like leaven. It's like yeast that someone puts in, a, in bread. You, you don't even see it. You may not even know it's there right away. But over time, you, you know it's there because it changes the bread. And Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is like that. But what he's not saying is that a place called heaven, which it, as a final destination, is like that. That's not what he's talking about. Jesus is talking about what he has been announcing all along. The kingdom of God is here. It's arriving. God is becoming king in and through the work of Jesus. This is the gospel. It's an announcement. It's not advice about where we're going or how to get to a good place when you die. It's an announcement about something that's happening. Whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, whether you receive it or not, it's happening. God is becoming king in and through Jesus. This is news, not just advice. The reason Jesus has to give these parables is because those who were anticipating the arrival of the kingdom of God had definite ideas as to what that would look like when it happened. Jesus is announcing that God's kingdom is here, it's arriving, and yet it doesn't look like people expected it to. So he's trying to help adjust people's expectations of what the kingdom of God is like, and he's doing it through these parables. Imagine a Democrat running for president in this country but saying that he didn't think that the welfare system as it stands is good for the poor of this country. Or imagine a Republican running for office, but saying that he didn't think that uncontrolled capitalism is a good thing. People have certain expectations of their leaders, and the Jews had a particular expectation or expectations of what the kingdom of God would be like. Here Jesus is announcing that the kingdom of God is arriving, but it isn't meeting the ex that expectation. And it is dangerous and scary to not meet people's expectations when you're a public figure. And I know this personally as I wrestle even as I'm making this podcast, knowing that I'm not going to be meeting some people's expectations. So this is something I, I do myself with fear and trembling. But there's this interesting scene in this chapter where Jesus is in the synagogue and he's not in charge of the meeting, but he's teaching and he takes charge of the meeting by healing this woman in the middle of the synagogue. And the synagogue president doesn't like this, and he gets up and confronts Jesus and says that you shouldn't be doing this on the Sabbath day, but I think that was just his way of taking charge of the meeting. 
And Jesus is saying, you're a hypocrite. You guys teach that it's okay on the, on the Sabbath if your ox falls in a hole that you can pull him out. And you would do that. Can't I pull out this, this daughter of Israel who's been in bondage for all these years? Can't she be healed on the Sabbath day? The synagogue president is upset that Jesus isn't meeting the expectations of maybe the kingdom of God, but even of this meeting that they were having. And Jesus is saying, but look at the fruit. Look what's happening. This woman was healed. God is at work. Why are you standing in the way of that? All along, the validation of Jesus' claim that God is becoming king in and through his work has been the miracles. Jesus is casting out demons. He's healing the sick. He's raising the dead. And this is what's saying... Yes, God is with me. God is doing this thing. And it's not enough, though, for those who had particular expectations. They don't care what Jesus does. They've already condemned him. And this is where the darker side of this whole situation comes in. Jesus is giving a warning to Israel that their moment of liberation is coming. It's, it's at hand. If they miss this opportunity, they miss it, and they're going to suffer the consequences. And he gives the example of what happened to, Galile- to the Galileans who were in the temple. The Galileans had a reputation for being brigands, for wanting to start a revolution and and overthrow Rome. And as a result of that, Pilate had come in and slaughtered them while they were in the temple, and their blood was mixed with that of the sacrifices. And Jesus is saying, do you think that these, these folks were any worse than the rest of Israel? They're not. If you do not receive this kingdom that I'm bringing, then this is what's going to happen to the entire nation. That's why Jesus says to struggle hard, because this is a narrow moment. This is your window of opportunity to escape the coming wrath. Jesus is offering the way out, and if you miss it, you miss it. Jesus will talk a little later here in Luke about the way things are going to seem like they're just going on as usual, but there's going to be a time where God says, time's up, the the enemy is going to surround Jerusalem, and it's going to sack it, and the walls are going to come tumbling down on you just like they did on these 18 in Siloam. And this is going to happen because you did not recognize the day that God was visiting you. The parable that Jesus gives about the fig tree is an excellent example of Jesus's long-suffering, of God's long-suffering with Israel, that this tree that Jesus is coming to, this fig tree of Israel, He's coming and he's not finding the fruit on it. He's not finding an Israel ready to follow God's leader, God's anointed Messiah, into God's future. Instead, he's not finding any fruit. But he says, give it one year more. Let me tend it. Let me work around the roots and see if we can get it to bear fruit. But if not, it will come down. So we see the long suffering of God. But there is a time where the time will be up. And this is going to be true for Jerusalem. There was still a little bit of time left for her, but eventually the day would appear where Rome would be surrounding the city and there would be no way out. And you'll be crying out, weeping and gnashing your teeth and saying, didn't we want God's kingdom? Aren't we God's people? And God will say, I didn't know you because you didn't recognize the day of your visitation. And at that point, the door will be shut, the city will be surrounded, and it will be too late. You will pay for your unwillingness to receive God's Messiah and God's kingdom in God's way, and you will pay down to the very last coin. But this doesn't mean that there wouldn't be hope for the individual. The individual in that moment could see their mistake and say, you know what? Jesus was God's Messiah. Our way, look what it's done to us. Now it's hopeless. 
there would be no way out of that surrounding army situation where you're about to be destroyed physically, but there is still hope that in that you could repent and God would forgive you and raise you from the dead with Jesus, that you could still identify with the Messiah at that last moment and be saved, at least for the future. Maybe by God's mercy and grace, he might even rescue you from that that terrible situation with the armies surrounding Jerusalem, but that's not guaranteed. But what is guaranteed is that forgiveness is still available up to our last breath. So some Pharisees come to Jesus and warn him, saying that Herod wants to kill you, so get out of here. I don't believe that the Pharisees were actually concerned with Jesus's safety. They just wanted to get Jesus out of their hair, and they wanted to intimidate him to leave. But Jesus wouldn't be intimidated, and he says, Go tell that fox, I have a job to do, and I'm going to be here today and tomorrow, and the third day I'm going to finish my job, because it, sh- it would never be that a prophet would perish except within Jerusalem. And as Jesus approaches Jerusalem, he cries, over, uh, cries out over it, and I think this is one of the most beautiful passages in Scripture. And it's something that gives us Luke's interpretation and Jesus's interpretation of the cross, what, what it meant. Uh, Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you kill the prophets and stone those who are sent to you. How many times did I long to gather your children together like a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you would have none of it. This image of a hen gathering chicks under her wings is an image of self-giving love. That chickens, sometimes when, they're, when there are fires in a barn, they will gather their chicks under their wings and protect them. And when the fire is over, the, the the mother hen will be burnt to a crisp, but the chicks will be alive underneath her. And this is what Jesus is doing. He's telling Israel that you're courting disaster for yourself, but he's going to go ahead of them and he's going to receive the punishment of the consequence of that rebellion, of the, fallen, of the failed human vocation, of the failed vocation of Israel to be the light of the world. Jesus is going to take it on himself, and as a result, his people are going to be ke- are going to be given life. This is what the Messiah was always supposed to do. The Messiah was supposed to renew Israel and bring her life. But many within Israel, and especially the Pharisees, I think, because they had worked so hard to prepare the nation for the coming Messiah, they expected to be validated as they stood, and they had their own ideas as to what the Messiah should do when he came. And because he didn't meet their expectations, they rejected him as Messiah. And by doing that, they fulfilled what Jesus said. And they didn't recognize the day that God was visiting them. As a result, they were going to see people from the east and west, from the north and south, in other words, from Gentile nations, along with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, enjoying the kingdom of God while they themselves were being excluded because of their own rejection of Jesus. In the world, there are no free lunches. If you have a free lunch, it's because someone else paid for you to have that lunch. They gave up something so that you could have it. And in the same way, when there's a failed vocation, when someone is called to do a job and they fail to do it, the burden of accomplishing that task is going to fall upon someone else. And Jesus is taking the burden of an unfulfilled vocation of Israel to be the light of the world. Jesus is going to be the mother hen who gathers the chicks under his wings, and he's going to take the, the force of the failed vocation upon himself, the wrath of Rome that was aimed at Israel because of their rebellion against God, the powers of darkness that were in the world because the human race had invited them in, was going to be aimed at Jesus, and he was going to sap their power in himself. And the wrath that God has against sin was going to be dealt with in Jesus so that the sin would be powerless to destroy God's good creation anymore. 
As Jesus suffers the consequences of a failed vocation, he fulfills the vocation of the human being to bear God's image in the world. The image of God is that mother hen over top of the chicks, bearing the weight of their sin on himself so that the chicks could go free. And this is what the kingdom of God is like. It's like one man, one seed, being the true image of God, being buried in the heart of all our failing and being raised to life again by the power of God. And as a result, he's going to breathe on his disciples that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this little seed that was planted is going to become a great tree that will fill the whole earth. And as you hear the gospel of the kingdom today, ask yourself, do you believe that Jesus really is God's solution to the problem of evil? And if not, what is the solution? Is there any other place that you can go where you will find power for a renewed life? Well, I hope you found this week edifying and challenging and insightful. That's that's the goal. You know, we want to understand who Jesus really is because I believe he's the most exciting thing the world has ever known and will ever know, which makes sense. Because will he ever crea- known? Will ever know, sorry. But that makes sense because he did create it, you know? So would, could there be anything better, more exciting, more life-giving? I guess not. No, nope, yeah. you guessed correctly. Yeah. So <laughs> as you're listening to this podcast, I'd love it if you took a moment to reach out to us. You can visit the Gospel for Planet Earth and send us an email through the contact link. You can also share it with a friend through social media, which is always great. Take a minute to rate it on iTunes. And also, if you would, visit us on our Patreon link, Patreon link which you can find by the webpage as well, and just click on the donate button. It's a way that you could support us on a monthly basis of $1 or $1,000 a month, but it'll help us get across the country, it'll help us produce podcasts, and it will help us produce vlogs. That's right, I said vlogs, because we're attempting to start a vlog that will um, that allow you to journey with us across the country, meet our family, see some of the things that we're seeing, meet some of the people we're meeting. It's, it's fun. Um, we're going to do another CD eventually too, right? Yeah, that, that is the plan, Lord willing. All these things take funds, and if you would be willing to partner with us, we would be graciously grateful. That makes sense. Yes, we would be very grateful. Um, and thank you for those of you who have already done that, but we'd love it if, if you haven't done that to take a minute to check it out and, uh, and partner with us. So next week we're going to dive in again into Luke. We're going to go for Luke 14, and we'll be meeting people who are very politely opposed to Jesus, but they actually hate him. Ah. Yeah. Say goodbye, Suze. (laughs) Goodbye, Suze. (laughs)